This episode is brought to you by Qualcomm's AI Stack. The Qualcomm AI Stack is a unified AI toolset designed to help developers optimize and deploy AI models quickly on their products. Go to qualcomm.com slash stackoverflow to get started. Be sure to check out that link and let them know the show sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Kyle Mitt. Kyle, how are you doing today? Well, hello. Hello, hello. So I know you just got out of a war room. We're talking Overflow AI. Mm-hmm. We're building things. There's LLMs, there's APIs, and it's apropos of today's discussion because we're going to be chatting with Reed Robinson, who is the lead product manager over at, is it Zapier or Zapier? Always a fun question. Zapier. The little device to remember this is Zapier makes you happier. Okay. Oh, that's great. There you go. One of my favorite stories I learned early on about Zapier is like if they wanted it to sound like that, why not have two P's in the name, yes. right? The reason, given and fitting for today's talk, is it has API in the name this way. Ah. Uh. So you, yeah, you can camel case the API this way if you need to, and it'll really stand out <laughs> on the, uh, the billboard. The original logo for Zapier had API in a different color scheme was what they right. chose to do. Right. This is very yeah. Y Combinator. Right I get it. right up there with yeah. GIF and GIF <laughs> and, and the original authors had intent right. and the, the original authors were themselves not English majors or grammarians. Glad we could get it settled. But that's also doubly funny because it's Zapier makes you happier, but API is like Zapier, like it's the other way. Anyway, all right, we're, we're not going to get stuck on this. We're going to keep going. Um, so we would like to welcome to the podcast, Reed Robinson, who is a, the lead product manager over at Zapier. And we're going to be talking about all the things that they've been building. They have this huge partner ecosystem that plugs in their APIs. And of course, these days, folks are eager to take advantage of large language models, generative AI, and you know the ability to use natural language as your interface to build all kinds of cool things with code. So Reed, welcome to the show. Awesome. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So the folks who are listening are mostly themselves, you know, software developers, engineering managers, stuff like that. Tell them a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you end up in the role you're at today? And, you know, kind of what's your day-to-day like in your current position? Yeah. I mean, going way back, I started my career in like hardcore cold calling sales. Uh, That's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. I moved to a city. I knew nobody. Got the first job I could, which was sales. I had no computer as well. It was just straight up like smile and dial as it's called. (laughs) Great way to start. Uh, But eventually transitioned my way into tech. And I'd always been like a bit of like technical inclination. And so when I joined a company called Hootsuite uh, on the sales team, I moved around and ended up joining the solution consultant team, sometimes called sales engineering, like that type of team that does like the technical demonstrations and work with uh, enterprise customers. Throughout that journey, I had bugged our partnerships team so often about asking for improvements to certain integrations with things like LinkedIn and Facebook that eventually got the ask one day that's like, hey, you keep bugging us. You're looking for different things to do in your career. Like, do you want to try doing this? And I was like, sweet, let's do it. Uh, And that was my foray into product partnerships. Uh, Eventually left Hootsuite to join and start up strategic partnerships at Zapier, where I managed, you know, partners like Facebook, Salesforce, Google, so on and so forth. Left very briefly, it turned out, to do my own startup. In the world of 2021, I got excited by what was going on with NFTs and had always in my mind wanted to like 
like learn about building a business mm. and did a hackathon mm. one weekend with a buddy of mine from Xavier just to build with this technology. I was really curious about it. And throughout that, we did a little hackathon. We ended up getting investors that were interested. We got users messaging us afterwards. They're like, hey, this doesn't work. And we won some prize <laughs> money. So we actually went all in on it and sold the business late last year. And throughout that, though, I had in my world of NFTs, I also got into like AI generative art. That's kind of like my journey into AI. It's like, you know, really mid-journey, dolly heavy. Love the mid-journey. Yes. I collect still a lot of AI art. And then, yeah, when that all went down, I was, you know, talking to a lot of the Zapier co-founders who were really excited about AI and wanted to go in. And I, I love the mission of Zapier. I love working with the businesses we get to work with. And the thought of like combining automation with AI got me really excited. And so what I get up to at this point is, you know, originally really about like the research side of it. I think because everybody, you know, you look at Twitter, you listen to any podcast, so much like just new information coming at everything going on right now. So one of the main focuses is just like testing out with some of this new technology, testing out with what we're seeing people do as like small demos and trying to see like, hey, is this scalable? Can we ship this? Can we provide something valuable to users? Small example and an easy one, but like when the chat GPT API came out, I think we had our app live within like 24 hours. Nice. And that became, you know, the AI apps overall became fastest growing apps on Zapier ever. Mm. Just the appetite was massive. So at this point, my role has transitioned a bit. I focus kind of across the org now uh, on a lot of our different AI efforts and helping unblock, helping advance what we're doing. We have a lot of teams working with AI at the moment and right. just trying to help move things along and keep everything somewhat Sweet. together. Kyle, I want to let you ask a, some, some technical questions because I know you're playing in the same world. But I just have to tell one story, which is that when I was a journalist at The Verge, I was pitched a freelance story about a person who found Doge, the dog, found the actual dog. And we did a story about this wonderful kindergarten teacher in Japan oh, the, who like owned the Doge. Shiba the dog. Shiba Inu dog. So it was like, you, you know the meme, but do you know the actual dog? And he went and met this wonderful kindergarten teacher and all how her life had changed. So then during the NFT craze, I was like, I remember we had like a three dozen photos of that dog that we never used. We need to go get those photos and turn them into collectibles. And I even emailed the woman and I was like, I think this would be a great idea, blah, 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 blah. Never heard back. But like a month later, she did NFT new photos of the dog and they made like $4 million. So whether she got the idea from me or not, it doesn't matter. It all went to Shiba Inu Rescue. So glad oh, digital art. That. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. All right. Back to the topic at hand. Kyle, take it away. That's great. So LLMs have been the thing that has been on a lot of people's mind uh, in our hot topic and really give us, I think, a very robust way to think about natural language in like code in programming like before ai if i'm coding something i want it as like a a bool a zero or one like an anti it needs to be this very strongly typed thing and i'm if somebody gave me the requirement five years ago you have this string and you just need to like do sentiment analysis on it if it was happy if it was uh, that would have been hard you know probably a decade ago really hard i think five years ago we had tools in our toolkit not in, you know, my toolkit personally of stuff that I was touching, but like maybe at, you know, some cloud providers have their own AI that has sentiment analysis, something like that. It's still doing this sort of natural language processing. 
Can you talk more kind of about that transition over time from how we've treated natural language processing systems we've had historically to what we have now with kind of what feels like a catch-all in terms of like LLMs just are good at natural language in general. They're not this hyper-specialized, like I'm just doing sentiment analysis uh, as that example, right? I could kind of do that. I could kind of do other things. Have you seen that transition from people using your platform to do task automations? They have some language. They want to interrogate that language in some way. They want to inspect it and figure out if it has certain properties. And how's that evolved over time in terms of how were people doing Mm -hmm. it? Or how do you see that happening now? Wow. I mean, first off, it's funny you say that. I remember, you know, again, I started my career selling social media management tools. And one of the like hot things back in like 2014, 2015 was the whole like, you know, natural language uh, or what did they call it then? NLP, right? Like, a, and then NLP, yeah. like natural language processing, and yeah. the ability to do sentiment analysis from that, right? And because you know, this is pre Cambridge Analytica, there was a lot more access to content <laughs> that was on the world, you know, pre Musk's Twitter. You had a lot of access to social data back then. And I remember, you know, talking to a lot of businesses who were trying to do like sentiment analysis on their brand, sentiment analysis on competitors. Um, and NLP was like such a hot thing to do that. And like word clouds, word clouds were really big. Marketers loved seeing word clouds back then. Mm. Clicking into a word cloud, that was huge. But I think today, you know, fast forward and that almost seems like comical, you know, if you're thinking back then. But I think today you mentioned you caught on one thing that I think is, at least in my mind, the breakthrough. And when I think of our type of users, it's that catch-all, like the fact that it is like, it's not a specialized job. Like NLP and the way people were using it was typically in like these extremely specialized jobs. And even then, I, I remember when we did sentiment analysis, you'd have to do like mini trainings of it where you'd have to like teach it like, oh, no, if someone's this, this is actually sarcasm. And yeah, there was so much of that that went on that that made it really difficult to use. And I, I, I don't know of any like small, very small business adoption of NLP back in the day. And I think that is probably the most significant thing that I'm seeing, at least from our user base, which is, you know, a lot of businesses from all swaths of these very small businesses up to enterprises who are adopting AI technology into their workflows the second thing I'll say on that is, you know, you talked about what type of jobs or really how are people using or trying to work with language in their workflows. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's essentially everything, right? Like everything you're doing with an AI step in Zapier is working with language for the most part. We don't see a lot with numbers, which is good because I'm sure everybody listening to this knows they don't really do that well with numbers, the LLMs. <laughs> not primes, especially not yeah. primes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, not great with arithmetic. But to that extent, yeah, tons of things. I, I mean, that that's the whole exciting use cases we start to see, whether it's, I mean, there's exciting things like we launched the ability to, to support the function calling API in a way that supports things like dealing with unstructured text and creating structure from it. I've even adopted this in really fun ways that are valuable for me. The other day, I built one that I get emails from my library that include the due dates for my books, right? But it's not like, hey, do you want a calendar invite to remind you that the book is due? Or do you want us to text you when the book is due? Like none of that. It's just, we're gonna send you an email once and you better remember. And I built out a Zap that used the, you know, function calling API to like grab the data from these things and create then in Zapier a delay that would then alert me 24 hours ahead of time. Like, hey, these books are due tomorrow. Don't forget. And that dealing of unstructured data 
we see a huge amount of use cases across the board for. Big one for product managers, engineering managers is just dealing with all the requests that you get and creating PRs and stuff from them or creating like Jira tickets. Great way. We see a lot of like IT people as well, just dealing with like capturing all of those requests that they're getting. And with uh, AI steps in Zapier, you're essentially treating it as if it came in through a form, which is wonderful because now you're not spending your time translating a Slack message into a, you know, a Jira. So I have to ask, is that the thing that you nerd out about? So I'm, you know, I'm principally a web developer. And the thing I love is inspect elements. And I have two extensions on my browser. I have like stylus and tamper monkey. And one allows you to write like arbitrary CSS on every single web page and one arbitrary JS. And I can just run them just on my own, you know. I'm, uh, and if I go on a web page and I don't like anything about that experience, I'm just immediately, I go inspect element, I go figure out what's going on. I write a little script that like just makes my experience on that better. And then I run that locally and I have just dozens of them just <laughs> hanging out, uh, not doing anything with them. Is that the thing that you nerd out about? Is like, oh, I was at my local library and they didn't send me a reminder. I'm just going to make a zap. I'm just like, of course, I can do some automation here. And it bugs me that there isn't some. So that's just what I want to do is create a zap. Is that kind of your approach to... It it definitely is for me personally, right? Yeah. The The things that I've learned, it helps me with. I like try to adopt that mindset when I'm at Zapier because I find then when I'm talking to like a customer who's like actually has a real use case for that. I'm like, oh, I now understand how to help you here because I did this weird library thing. Um, You know, they're like, hey, we get these Slack messages from thousands of teammates across the world having like computer issues and we need to get them into like a proper ticketing system and not Slack. Can you help us do that and structure? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, let's very similar. I don't know. That's my approach to tinkering, if you will. And I've always found that to work really well for me. Like, it's probably one of the main reasons I'm in the position I'm in today is, you know, two years ago, I was interested in seeing AI art and was just really curious how these tools were creating what looked to be amazing you know, pieces of art and what went into that uh, and tinkered. I'm always embarrassed to say this, but like my tinkering back then was creating a, like I'm into collecting real stamps. And so I created a AI generated stamp album was that, and that's, that was how I learned about a lot of those tools. Yeah. I geek out nice. on a lot of that stuff. So I want to ask, Quickly, you know, we're talking about natural language and, and how it can work. There is something y'all put out called the NLA API. And in, in sort of pitching for the podcast, one of the things that I thought was interesting was that there were two product experiments that came before mm-hmm. that that didn't quite hit the mark. So given that we're talking to a bunch of engineers, I love that sort of process piece of like, we took this fork in the road, then we took this fork in the road, and this is how yeah. we ended up here. So just quickly up top for listeners, what is the NLA API? And then tell us a little bit about, you know, yeah, from a product management perspective, like how did you find your way to the right, you know, solution? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for everybody not familiar, we actually created a, yeah, we call it the NLA API, or Natural Language Actions API, a bit of a mouthful. Uh, it essentially enables AI models like ChatGPT to use natural language to complete the like tens of thousands of actions that are available on Zapier on their own. And so you as the user, you can use this today in like the ChatGPT plugin from Zapier. It uses the NLA API under the hood. It's that same API mm-hmm. is available for any developer. You can go to our docs and, and get started playing around with it in your own applications. Uh, but essentially the way it works from the user is you would go in, you pre-configure like, hey, I want to give ChatGPT the ability to, you know, 
create draft emails on my behalf. I want it to be able to search my Slack. I want it to be able to create, you know, Jira issues, right? You then, as you're talking to ChatGPT, if you're working with it with something, you can say like, oh, I love this email copy you created for me. Can you just go ahead and, and create a draft to XYZ? And it'll be able to go ahead and do that. There is a human review step that works from within the ChatGPT plugin. But how we got there was a really fun journey. Because when I joined, we had the, the product that we were playing around with was something called Zap Chat, which was the concept was like, okay, natural language is really exciting. Like the conversational AI seems to be a really great approach to try this. Let's just test this out. And we were doing like chain of thought prompting, like the, the, the recent papers around that seemed really exciting. And what we discovered was it actually was very frustrating. It felt like a constant game of 20 questions uh, because it was entirely chat, right? Like we even tried it via text, right? Like you could even text this thing to help you like create this app. And it was like, okay, like you said you use Salesforce. Like what authentication do you want to use? What object are you using? Oh, can you clarify that? And it was just like a million questions that you, you know, when you use something in the UI, you kind of take for granted, like how many like little clicks actually would have been many other questions that led to that. So we then took some of the learnings there, which was, it was the models were clearly capable of coming to good conclusions of like jobs to be done for the purposes that we were trying to do, uh, which for that was creating a app. The next one we tried was around continuing to experiment with chain prompting together, but allowing users to like create different prompts and give different tools for each step of that journey. So it kind of like created like a deterministic chain of thought type of thing. Uh, we call that Zap Books. That was a lot of fun. And that was the first time we actually gave it different types of tools. Like we gave it the ability to search Google. Uh, it also had the ability to search Wikipedia. We gave it a calculator as well. And the last thing that we, we gave that kind of led us down a further path was giving it the ability to run Zapier actions. And it worked in a really like hacky way at first. We had like a separate app in Zapier that you needed to have installed in a Zap. And if the AI called it, it would then like shoot out a webhook type thing that got it to run. From there, we realized like the chain of thought stuff was just like a bit confusing for users. Like when we like brought it to users and talked to them, they were always confused on where to start. They were always confused what this thing did. And it became immediately clear that this was not something we were going to be able to take to market. But just seeing those things like take actions was what people like kind of hooked onto and what felt valuable. We experimented then with something called like Zap Maker, which, you know, kind of was like a single shot attempt at creating a Zap as opposed to like the 20 question model. And that worked surprisingly well. Um, it's actually like that evolved into a piece of technology that's now used not only within the Natural Language Actions API and the ChatGPT plugin, like you can talk to the ChatGPT plugin and ask it to create a zap for you. And it'll give you a link to a zap that does what you told it to do, which is really cool to see. Yeah. And that led us to, you know, when we were thinking about, you know, these other iterations we learned about the ChatGPT plugin opportunities, that's where we're like, look, it'd be really cool if you could give ChatGPT the ability to like take those same actions that we had in the small chain of thought prompt examples and, you know, started playing around like what that meant from like a developer ecosystem that could potentially emerge from that. If you're like, we saw the obviously thousands and thousands of developers building AI tools that were like trying to do these jobs, but getting, you know, we know that building with APIs is, is a pain. You know, we talk about 
everyone's like, oh, what if we just give it the documentation? But I mean, I'm sure every engineer listening to this has built an API or read documentation that was not up to date. Or, you know, the actual, you know, API call didn't exactly work the way it said it was going to work. You know, so it's, it's only too often. And, and sometimes, honestly, the context window is a huge issue. Like Gmail, if anybody's built the Gmail's API, that thing spits out an absurd amount of text into there. And especially with like threaded emails, it becomes really difficult. So the NLA API, one of the coolest things it does is not only is it like non-deterministic in the way that it tries to map the values for an API call, but it also has intelligence that we've kind of built into it that kind of spits back the right amount of context for an LLM on the other side. So it doesn't just spit back the raw API response that you would get. Uh, it's kind of truncating that for an LLM, but it's not just truncating, right. of course. So earlier we were dunking on this poor little LLM robot for not being able to do math. And the way that that's actually solved is through grounding that model and saying, okay, well, boy, it looks like you're asking a math question. Let me go defer that to Wolfram or, you know, Mathematica or something that can then go handle that and try to do that in a way that, oh, I'm really good at just the math pieces. So I'm just going to try to take this text prompt and go hand it off to the right service to go execute on this. Is that kind of how you view like the plugin architecture also, which is, boy, if I'm just talking to ChatGPT and I can say, oh, go create me a zap on this, that almost this plugin grounds it in a sort of way that says, oh, a zap, I know how to do that. And then it can go work through that. Is that kind of, do I have the right mental model there? If that's that's what it's doing is is plugins are just grounding for that model to to give it superpowers in a very narrow subset of the world. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, that's also like link chain tools, right? Like, yeah, essentially you're just giving it the ability to call out to a more specialized service Mm -hmm, that's good at a job. And the Zapier one just happens to be an interesting service that can call, you know, thousands of other (laughs) services. Right. Yeah, there was a interview that I read uh, in Y Combinator talking similarly, as you said, you know, we don't want to have developers have to, you know, deal with all these different API endpoints. You can wrap, you know, those, it said over 20,000 actions and treat each one, like Kyle said, as a separate tool. And when you need to do X, you rely on this tool. And then, like you said, instead of playing 20 questions, I'm going to delegate to you, like, come back to me with a zap. And if it doesn't work the way I want, then we'll talk about it. And like, we'll just this and this, but it's much better to just come back with something, you know, you, you gave it your best try and then we can, you know, sort of iterate from there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why with the NLA stuff, if you try it in the ChatGPT plugin, that's one of the main reasons to have that human in the loop step is so that you can be like, okay, mm-hmm. I told it to do a calendar invite to X for Y time. And it like, you know, kind of got it right, kind of got it wrong. But before I go ahead and send that API call, I'm just going to change the title of the calendar invite, right? And now you can just edit that right there and hit send. Hmm. So Reed, I'm curious, like, is there something that you've been hearing from customers or partners that they've really been asking for that you feel like is the next turn of the wheel or something that's coming up in the next year when it comes to workflow automations that you're really excited about? Like, we've kind of been talking about what is this technology you've been playing with? How did you get here personally? And how did you know you evolve this tool? Now let's let's look ahead a little bit. Like, what are people asking for that you're psyched to build? Or what do you know, you know, is on the roadmap? You don't have to give away all the juicy details, but like this is what's gonna really take us to the next level with these kinds of tools. Yeah. Touch on two things. One, I think like a lot of people, probably the people listening to this and probably uh, most people that I talk to are like builders in the AI world right now. 
And that's very different than the people like consuming this technology a lot of the time or who can likely benefit from consuming this technology. I think that's one thing just to keep in mind is that as much as I like, I get, and we all get really excited on like the envelope pushing state of technology that's out there. There's some of the things that you, know, you talk to users about and they're just like, oh my God, that's amazing. And you're like, you just showed them like a really simple little piece and they're very pumped about it. Like properly teaching them how to prompt a, like for us, I'll give you the, probably the greatest example is we talk to people about how they use ChatGPT, right? And they're like, oh yeah, I'm great at using ChatGPT. I go, I use it all the time. And they're very familiar with Zapier, right? The same person, very familiar with Zapier, very familiar with ChatGPT, never put the thought together to try to use ChatGPT like in a Zapier workflow. And, you know, I describe it oftentimes as like, you know, having it run in your sleep type of stuff. And you've got to think about like the right times to use something like that. I often talk about like drafts, great time. You're drafting content, you're, or if it's doing like categorization for you, classification, all that type of stuff, amazing. But people, yeah, like people don't a lot of the times connect those dots or think about that retrieval, you know, augmented generation. That's obviously a huge one. Probably the one I'm, I'm most excited about seeing get into the hands of, of people is like being able to use those systems in a more like simple way where they didn't need to know what pinecone was. They didn't need to worry about like choosing between maybe and Chroma, right? Like the average person's not, not worrying about those decisions, hopefully. And yeah, when we can start to see that kind of like concept of giving these tools a little bit more context and being able to ground those prompts with organizational information, that's very right. exciting. It's probably one of the areas I'm most excited about. We look at just so much of what people like about LMs in workflows today and what they don't like about it. And a lot of it does come down to like the ones who like it, they've learned how to give it context and prompts today, right? Like they're doing a great job prompting. But that's, you shouldn't need to be an amazing prompt We're not engineer. All prompt engineers? No. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I think everybody hopes that's not the future state. Right. So that's one of the things I'm probably most excited about seeing a future state for. But I just want to do that first call out of like, there's some of the stuff that just works out of box today that's not, you know, is known right. knowns that just is still extremely yeah, valuable. This is the Stack Overflow podcast. You know, we, we got a two blog posts <laughs> up recently about RAG. You know, we're talking about using WeV8 and our stuff. I mean, like, yep. you know, we're trying to get into the nitty gritty of that world. I mean, that's that's what we're yep. living and breathing. I agree with you. Yes, there are many low code, no code, tons of people on the marketing team who could build great automations for work or for home that are going to be really cool. And it would be fun if we could find a way to help people connect those dots. But at the same time, yeah, like we're thinking like, yeah, once you get RAG really working and once some of these tools evolve, like what's that's that's what I'm asking about. The thing I like about RAG is it completes the story on what LMs can do, which is either here's a bunch of text, make it a small amount of text, or here's a tiny amount of text, can you make it a big amount of text? Now it can do both things. So <laughs> we've hit 100% of use cases. Turn complete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there we go. Mm -hmm. The other stuff that I'm increasingly, I don't know, following along, interested in, is, is what people are starting to prove out with evaluation suites and training, right? Like those mm. two things, I, I think a lot of tech today they're seeing is, is largely built on like the foundation models. Some organizations have played around with some fine tuning, but you know, as soon as you start to do that, a lot of questions come up. I mean, there's a lot of like terms of service style questions that you certainly get into real fast. First of all, on the tech side of things, you get into a lot of questions on how you're doing that, how you're training the data set. And I think 
Brian, one of our co-founders, had a good quote that I liked earlier. He said, you know, we're trying to move more people from being prompt engineers to data engineers uh, when they're building with AI systems. Because really, you know, that that should be your future state. Like if we're getting these things more and more data and we're building cycles that are good with that, that is like a defensible moat for a business, Mm -hmm. which is going to be really interesting. But I say that and like, doing the evaluation of these models, right, is, is extremely difficult in an organization. Like, you know, there's always a ton of questions on how do you evaluate what a good job was? How do you evaluate, did what you just did make things overall better? I mean, there's a lot of tools being created these days that are, are trying to address that, that are really interesting to explore. Uh, but still, it's very interesting questions uh, on how you do that. I think one of the funniest quotes I heard from like a large vendor in the space on like building models was around, you know, it just coming down to a vibe check. <laughs> Probably my favorite quote so far. of uh, just like, yeah, you try the models, it's a vibe check is what it comes down to if it got better or worse. Right. So I look forward to that being a lot more known and structured yeah. of a problem space. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out a Stack Overflow user who came on the network and contributed a little knowledge. Lightness, races in orbit. Congrats on your lifeboat badge. Coming in and saving a question that had a score of negative three. With your great answer, it's got a score of 20 or more. What are core files by Node.js? What are those core files? Well, Lightness has an answer for you and has helped over 10,000 people. So we appreciate you coming on and sharing a little knowledge. Uh, as always, I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. Find me on X at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions for the program, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I am Kyle Matowski. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KyleMatBTV. And as always, you can find me at Stack Overflow at user ID 1366033. Hey, everybody, read. Uh, yeah, great chat. You can find me. I'm on Twitter. Read out loud. I have an underscore at the end. And then... Yeah, learn more about Zapier AI stuff. I think it's a zapier.com forward slash AI. Honestly, I made a little page. Okay. You can follow along with what we're working on there. Reach out to me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I love hearing from people. So if you've been working with something on Zapier, you just have an idea of something you want to see or feedback, please shoot me a DM. I, I read almost all my Twitter DMs from people. And yeah, if you love AI art and you want to uh, exchange, maybe they'll, they'll, they should find you, right? You're a collector. Yeah, absolutely. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon. <laughs>